Well, good morning again, and Merry Christmas one more time. You can keep saying it while the decorations are up and everyone's wearing red and green and that sort of thing. It's great to see you here on this Christmas uh, Sunday after Christmas. Today we're going to start with a passage of Scripture that's, again, very familiar. Let's stand together as I read aloud out of John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated as we pray. I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit who inspired these words to give us illumination of his word today that we might hear it rightly. And please pray for me that I might share the words God has given me to share in the way he'd have me share them. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the powerful, profound, and pervasive message of your coming to this earth. We've heard it over and over again, and yet it makes deeper and deeper impacts upon us as we consider it. You actually left heaven for the likes of me and my brothers and sisters. God, may the reality of your compassion and your love sink even deeper into our hearts today. And may we be transformed by it as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, friends, if you've been around for our Advent series called True Story... This is the final segment in that series this morning. And I want you to hear again that message that we've been echoing throughout the whole season of Advent. The fact and the reality of the Christmas message is that God actually loves you. Yeah, he actually loves you. You matter to him. He really, really wants your life to be better and better and better until one day he just welcomes you home into heaven. He cares about every minute detail in your life today, just like he cares about what happened in your past and what's going to happen in your future. He's got it all worked out. And his love and his compassion, as the scripture said, his mercies are new every morning. And the steadfast love, the unchanging love of God never ceases. He wants your family, your children, everybody that you know and everything that concerns you, your health and your emotional well-being to feel the touch of his love today and to carry that love with you throughout the days ahead and throughout truly the year ahead. He wants your life to improve so much to keep getting better that you will be amazed and surprised as how good it gets. There's a lot of bad in this world. It's evident. We can't avoid all of it, 
There's evil going on in this world, but the king of kings who came and was born and laid in a manger came to change everything, including our experience of life. Thus Jesus said, in this world you're going to have tribulation for sure, but be greatly encouraged because I am mightier than anything that's evil in this world. And he came to set us free. He doesn't just want us to have the right kind of theology, which is okay. He doesn't just want us to have the right philosophical outlook. No, he wants each one of us to experience real life, and I'll say it more succinctly, the good life from his point of view. And nothing that evil in this world seeks to do can ever take that away from us. Greater is he who is in you, if you've received Christ in your heart, than anything that can touch you in this world. Well, that sounds like a lot of great stuff, doesn't it? But talk is cheap, as some say. So can you back that up with any kind of words or actions? Well, in fact, the scriptures tell us in John chapter 3.16, God did act. He says this in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus came filled with grace and truth, a passage in John chapter 1 said to us, and that grace is powerful. And someone has summed it up this way in an acronym, God's resources are available to Christians everywhere. Remember that. God's resources, the vast wealth of spiritual strength, emotional healing, physical grace and strength, and provision for our lives is available to us because Jesus came and laid his life down for us. He's got enough grace to cover your past and mine. The good, the not so good, the ugly, the bad, and then even the really ugly stuff. His grace has got it all covered with a blanket of forgiveness. He's got your present days, days like today, and days we're going into in the year ahead covered by the power and the presence of his very Holy Spirit in you and with you to calm and assuage your anxieties and fears. And the greatest news is he's got your future all worked out, including a mansion in the sky, Depending on which translation of the Bible you read, it might just be a really nice room or it might be your own house. Whatever you see out there, he's got your address already in his book in heaven. He has gone ahead of you to prepare a place for you forever. And you can have that assurance moment by moment. He's got it all covered by his grace. But do you feel that today? Do you feel his love? Are you living in that? Do you feel it affecting when you get up in the morning, when you go to work, when you come to church, when you visit with friends, are you feeling his love? Friends, it's his desire that you would experience, walk in, live in, and enjoy his love moment by moment. Jude tells us, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's where God wants you to stay. And the true message of Christmas is that we can, in fact, do that. Stuart Briscoe put it this way. He said, The spirit of Christmas needs to be superseded by the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christmas is annual. 
But the spirit of Christ is eternal. The spirit of Christmas is sentimental. The spirit of Christ is supernatural. The spirit of Christmas is a human product, but the spirit of Christ is a divine person. You see, this is the real message of Christmas, that God so loved you and me as we sit here, as I stand here in the sanctuary, and everyone else who's ever lived, that he came all the way from heaven just for us. No one forced him. No one could have ever manipulated him. He did it because he wanted to. That was his choice. He came after you and me and all who will ever live in this earth. But so many of us, I feel, when we walk through the Christmas season experience that are so close, but yet so far away from that real heart of the message of feeling God's love. I read an interesting story recently about Reeve Lindbergh. You know that name, Lindbergh. She's the daughter of Charles Lindbergh, the pioneering aviator who made the first solo transatlantic flight. That's a pretty amazing feat way back in 1927. Anybody remember hearing that on the news back then? Maybe not. In 1997, though, the Smithsonian Institution in Washington, D.C. had invited Reeve to speak at the commemoration of the 70th anniversary of her father's historic flight. The museum officials invited her to come early to the National Air and Space Museum where Charles Lindbergh's actual plane, the Spirit of St. Louis, is suspended from the ceiling. He also invited her young son, Ben, to come along with her on that. They arranged for a cherry picker, a bucket truck, so they could be lifted up to the ceiling where the plane was suspended so they get a real close-up look at the plane. This was the first time that Reed had ever, Reed had ever seen that plane that close, been anywhere near it. It was an awesome experience for her. She looked in the tiny window. She run, ran her hand over the door handle to that plane, just brought back a wave of emotion, thought, thinking that her dear father had touched that plane handle a thousand times. Tears welled up in her eyes, memories flooded her mind, and she said to her son, Oh, Ben, isn't this amazing? Yeah, Ben said, equally impressed. He says, I've never been up in a cherry picker before. (laughs) That close to beauty, that close to glory, but missing all of it. I fear, in a genuine sense, that so many of us, even around the church, are that close to the true wonder of Christmas, but we're missing the whole point of it. I want to share with you how the true story of Christ's coming intersected powerfully with my life 40 years ago, because I was one of those who was close, but so far away in Christmas, at Christmas of 1975. You're going to see a picture of a couple of handsome gentlemen. See if you can guess which one is me. Well, don't raise your hands, but I'm the guy with a cool rayon shirt, the uh, Native American necklace and the long hair. And the picture's a little out of focus, which is pretty much how my life was back in those days, as you can tell. Um, And I don't have to admit this, I actually owned a leisure suit in those days that had rhinestone buttons on it. Anybody else own a leisure suit? There's a few hands, thank you. There we go. Thankfully, no pictures were ever taken of me in that leisure suit. It went to a Goodwill or somewhere quickly after it went out of fashion. But my situation... At Christmas of 1975 was, I loved Christmas. I loved the Christmas trees, the decorations, the giving and receiving of the gifts, the food, the fun, the festivities. I loved midnight masses. I loved all of it. It was sort of magical. But by the time the decorations were put away each year, I just went back to being the same old me. 
Nothing about me had changed one iota. I went back to being the selfish, self-focused, self-determined young man that I was. I wasn't really a bad person or so, I thought. But then again, there wasn't anything tremendously good about me either. Like the old Allman Brothers song that said, I'm no saint and I'm no savior. Every other Christmas I practice good behavior. Well, that was pretty much me. You see, Christianity was in my life. But Christ was not in my heart. But that all changed in early 1976. Completely out of frame of reference, suddenly and without any kind of warning, something happened to me. I was suddenly catapulted into a week-long experience where I didn't eat, couldn't, or sleep. I couldn't. Suddenly and without warning, I was surrounded by a deep, pure, real awareness of who I really was. Everywhere I looked, it was like a mirror was put around me, like one of those dressing rooms, you got mirrors all around you, and I saw myself as I really was. No one was talking to my friends that said, oh, Rick flipped out, something's wrong with him. But I saw myself as I really was, and I didn't like it. In fact, it terrified me. It was ugly. I didn't like it at all. I, I wanted to change. I wanted to be a different person, but I didn't know what was even happening to me. As I puzzled through one of those long nights, sleepless nights in the middle of that week, my mind suddenly thought, could this be God? And just as that thought came to my mind, a bright white light shone in my room. Pitch black, 3 o'clock in the morning, fifth-story dorm room, no way it could be a natural source, and I went, whoa. I was terrified again. I ran to the window to look out to see if somebody was hanging out my window, finding a spotlight in my room, and of course there wasn't. That happened and repeated the following night, and I began to realize someone had come to visit me. Like the glory of the Lord that shone for the shepherds that night, and they were terrified, that's what had happened. Someone very powerful, very strong, had overshadowed me, and I could not escape the conviction, the awareness of who I was. But with that conviction, suddenly... I started to feel this power that had come to me was going to help me change. In fact, so much so, I suddenly got the strong motivation to read the Bible. That was not my practice. In fact, I'd never read it once. My family had a Bible just like this, sitting on a coffee table in the living room. I never opened it once in my first 18 years. It was a decoration. I felt, suddenly felt strongly motivated to love and care for people. I wanted to start my life over again and do it right and just live totally differently than the way I had done before. Very short time after that, I met a young Christian woman and I shared my, some of my story, what I've just shared with you. I said, I feel like I've been born again. And I didn't even know any spiritual or biblical context for that. And she goes, no, you must be born again to get in the kingdom of God. And she asked me a simple question. She said, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart, really? And I said, no, I've actually never done that. She said, would you like to? And I prayed a prayer with her that night. And I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. And bam, like that, my life began to change. Habits and patterns and sinful behaviors suddenly lost their power over me. Things that had plagued me most of my life, different ways, were suddenly released from me and my life began to change. The very next morning... It was so much changed that people I was talking to at the place where I was staying at the time started asking me to pray for them. 
I didn't grow up in a tradition where you prayed out loud at all, and I'd certainly never prayed with anybody. People were asking me to pray for them to be healed, asking me biblical questions, and I was trying to answer them, and I didn't even know. I was a changed person. I ask you that question that she asked me. Have you ever really asked Jesus into your heart? Have you ever really opened yourself up to him? This is very personal between you and him. I'm blessed to have two wonderful grandchildren and get the experience of watching them grow up. And I'll share an account in just a moment. But God doesn't have any grandchildren. He has sons. He has daughters. This is personal between you and him. Just a couple days ago on Christmas Day, on the 25th, we were over at my daughter's house. She had everybody over. Countless gifts are being opened, wrapping papers flying all over the place. And my daughter, being the clever one that she was, gave me a kind of a gag gift. She gave me an old phone with an actual receiver and big buttons on it that you have to plug into a wall. And it just was kind of a joke because, you know, we don't really use those things anymore very much. In fact, my daughter doesn't even have one of those in her house that they use. They just have cell phones. So I took that. I thought, that's very funny. That's very cute. We set that aside over another table. All these toys. My granddaughter is four years old. She's running around. She went over and she wanted to play with that phone. Like, that was the gag. She wanted us to plug it in, and there was no place to plug it in in their house because there was no, no place to get a dial tone. But maybe you've tried everything to get your life right. Maybe you've tried everything to get help and to restore hope, and maybe you overcome habits or sins or even addictions. But maybe you haven't really tried Jesus. I want you to know his heart yearns for you to ask him in. Scripture says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and invite me and I will come in and sup with them, I'll eat with them, I'll sit down with them. Friends, your very eternity depends on the answer to that question. Have you yet invited Jesus in? When you do, everything starts to change for the better. Some here, I suspect, need a complete restart like I did. That goofy-looking guy with the beads and the hair and all that and the rayon shirt. Yeah, I needed a complete start over. That was me. There may be some today that think, you know, I've never really done that. I need that. He'll give you that chance if you'll just ask him. Some just need a fresh start. Jesus once used to be in the driver's seat of your life, then he went to the passenger seat, and then he's back in the back seat someplace, and maybe he's in the trunk now having less and less influence in your life, and you need to get out of the way and say, Jesus, I invite you back into the center of my life. I give you the wheel again, because where I'm driving now, I'm going off the road and going into a ditch, and maybe you're stuck someplace. You need to ask Jesus to come back into that driver's seat of your life. Some just need the strength to keep pressing on. The reality is, no matter what our current status is, Jesus needs to be and wants to be at the very center of every aspect of your life. He doesn't want to be Jesus on demand like we have with Comcast, but he wants us to be ready to jump at his every command. The other way around. Not us pushing a button and turning him on and off, but him ringing our bell and asking us to move in a certain direction. The reality is only you and I, by our choice, can give him that place of influence. You have that power to choose, and so do I. Every single day, ultimately, but it's a decision. To invite him back into the center of your marriage that maybe has grown cold and hard and you need him. And that's right where he wants to be to bring healing. To bring him back in the center of your parenting or grandparenting to continue to be a godly, powerful influence in the next generation in your own household. 
Maybe you need to bring them back into the center of your, how you're handling your finances, how you're handling your business dealings. See, the reality is there's a lot of darkness in this world that's troubling all of us and seems to be increasing, doesn't it? But what's wrong with this world bothers, while it bothers us, what's wrong with us on the inside bothers us a whole lot more, doesn't it? It troubles us. You see, the stuff that's going on in the world, you can turn the TV off, close the laptop, stop listening to it for a while and do something else. But what's wrong on the inside of us, that gnawing pain that we can't get away from, won't go away until we let Jesus touch us, heal us, forgive us, cleanse us, and give us that fresh start again. Friends, this is, in fact, serious business, the matter of salvation. It was serious enough that God sent his son right out of heaven, not just to be born. And what I love about our manger display here is, if you haven't looked close, the crown of thorns, it sits there. He came to be born, but he also came to lay his life down so that all these things we're talking about could be your reality. It's been said this way, if our greatest need had been information... God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, as some think, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, he would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But in fact, our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. Former astronaut James Irwin once said, there's something more important than man walking on the moon, and that is God walking on this earth. God is holding out to the whole of the human race the most amazing, generous offer that could ever be imagined. Have you taken him up on it yet? Some of you may feel, as I did one time, prior to that 1975 picture you saw there, that you're kind of beyond help. You've tried everything. You struggle. Nothing ever really seems to change. You've tried reading books, going to help, get help in various ways, tried different things, and nothing has changed. The reality is, Jesus as Savior is really good at saving people. He can help you today. He can help you overcome the deepest, darkest things about your life and transform you into a new kind of person if you'll just let him do it. He made us, he loves us, and he wants to save us from our sins. Chuck Swindoll put it this way, Christ was content with a stable when he was born so that we could have a mansion when we die. Friends, do you realize that today as you sit in the sanctuary, you're the closest to heaven that you've ever been? And tomorrow morning, you'll be a day closer. And the clock keeps ticking, ticking, ticking. Tomorrow is not really guaranteed to anybody, is it? I want to put that picture back up I showed a little while ago. Yeah, it's me again. I'm still there. The gentleman to my right is my late older brother, Jim. 1975, he was full of life, full of energy, and for the next 30 years, he pursued every kind of religion on the earth, He was seeking for something. He did yogic flying. He did Dianetics, Transcendental Meditation, ESL, Scientology, back and forth to Catholicism a couple different times, in and out, all over the place. He was searching for something and finally landed on Judaism because he wanted religion on his terms. He had to control the process. 
And that sort of suited him for a while as he began to practice Judaism seriously. He knew what we believed, my brother and I as Christ followers. He knew the way to be right with God. He knew how to be forgiven and he knew the way to heaven. I told him till I was blue in the face. He knew the way. But he had never opened his heart to Jesus as Savior and bowed his knee to him as Lord. But at Christmas 2005, 30 years later, he was diagnosed with terminal stage 4 lung cancer. He was given about nine months to live. So I ramped up my urgency in sharing the gospel with my dear brother, whom I loved. And through that year, quoted all the Old Testament scriptures I know so well that point to Jesus Christ. And he kept going along in his faith in the direction he was going, not accepting Christ. Three days before he died, the urgency of the matter was upon me. He had become incommunicative. He was unable to talk anymore. But I went up there to the hospice center where he was at that one night and just prayed with him and talked to him. I said, Jim, you're going to be meeting Jesus soon. You need to receive him. I just laid it out. He couldn't respond and didn't say a word to me because he was somewhat comatose. Came home from that just trusting he was able to hear. The very next day, 48 hours before he passed away, two women from my old church just felt moved upon by the Holy Spirit, one of them being a hospice worker and the other one just being a dear friend of hers. And they just felt the Holy Spirit tell them to go visit my brother. They went up there, shared the gospel with him. The hospice worker took him by the hand and said, if you, if you can hear me, if you want to respond, just squeeze my hand a little bit and, and I'll know that you're hearing what I'm saying and that you're responding. My brother Jim opened his eyes, sat up partially, and then in a loud voice cried out, Jesus, come into my heart. Ten times over. Laid back down and never spoke another word. Friends, I'm going to see him in heaven because he received Christ. The only way. He went ahead with his Jewish burial in a Jewish cemetery, but I know where he went. Jesus took him home. It's never too late and never too soon to open our hearts to Jesus and his love. So many people know about the church, they know about religion, they know about the Ten Commandments, they know about heaven and hell, they find all that stuff offensive and it turns them away from God. But so few too often know the real Jesus who loves them and is ready to forgive them right now. I read in Fortune magazine recently, in fact, the December edition of it, some of you might have read this, that for the third year running, Fortune magazine is named Hillcorp, one of the 100 best companies to work for. There's a good reason for that. This year, they gave each of their 1,380 employees a $100,000 Christmas bonus. That's right. No matter what their position was, part-time janitor, receptionist, or the CEO, all of them got exactly the same bonus. The company shared the productivity, the wealth of the company equally across the board. That's a pretty good deal. And by the way, they're hiring. I checked it out yesterday. There's still a job open. If you're an accountant and you're looking, looking for work, they're looking for you. Um, it's not the first year they've done that. They've been doing this for years. A couple of years ago, they gave a, either a choice of a $50,000 brand new car or a $35,000 cash bonus. Grace, just a gift because they're doing well and they just want to share it with everybody. The receptionist Amanda Thompson from this company told Fox News in New Houston, it's just a gift. And I think Myself, along with everyone, is not going to give less than 100% every day going forward. And a response is such a tremendous gift. But what about the original Christmas bonus program? 2,000 years ago, God himself 
presented a gift of his son to all mankind, the ultimate gift. He came to live for us and die for us so that we could experience and live with him on this earth and ultimately in eternity forever. He offers eternal life equally to everyone, regardless of our position, our rank, or our status. I want to ask you something. If you were looking for a job and you applied to Hillcorp and they sent you an email or a voicemail saying, got a job for it, just call to respond. How long do you think it'd take for you to respond to that? I suspect some of you, if you got that by email sitting here while I'm preaching right now, would just, excuse me, I'm going to go respond to this. You wouldn't wait a second for an offer that good, would you? Why is it with God's offer? Far greater, far more significant, far more powerful in our lives. Do we put it off? Get to that later. Next week, next month, and before we know it, it's next Christmas again before we even think about it. The Bible says, and I quote, for God so loved the world, that's Bethlehem, that he gave his one and only son, that's Calvary, that whoever believes in him might not perish, that's salvation, but have eternal life. Friends, that's forever. Jesus is not just the reason for the season. He's God's solution to the darkness in this world. He is the answer to what ails us personally and what ails this world. Christ is still the only real cure for what ails this world. He personally, by his spirit and presence, is the power that can change one life at a time and by so doing can change this world. And he's intent on doing it. And he's done enough to this point that each of us who know him know him because someone told us the light has reached us. God's not finished, friends. It's time for all of us to experience the true joy of Christmas for ourselves. But receiving that gift sounds easy, but we must act upon it. How do we do it? It's a simple conversation with Jesus that might go something like this. Jesus, I want you and I need you to be my Savior and my Lord Thank you for what you've done. I don't know all the details, but I see your heart of love for me, and I want in. Here is my heart, Lord, such as it is. Take me, help me, fill me. I give you my heart and my life. That's so simple, isn't it? If that's you today, I encourage you and urge you to have that transaction with Jesus. You will experience a joy that's beyond compare not just for the season of Christmas, but starting from that moment all the way into eternity. I close with one final appeal directly from the scriptures in 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul shares these words. We beg you not to toss aside this marvelous message of God's great kindness. For God says, you cry, cry, your cry came to me at a favorable time when the doors of welcome were wide open. I helped you on a day when salvation was being offered. Right now, God is ready to welcome you. Today, he is ready to save you. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so very much for everything that you've done that we understand for our benefit and so much that we don't even see or get yet. Lord Jesus, thank you for leaving heaven and coming to this earth. We invite you afresh into our hearts. You are worthy 
of the place of the throne of our hearts. And we invite you afresh to take up that place, to be the greatest influence in every aspect of our lives, to guide us, to lead us, to direct us, and most of all, to help us understand and experience your great love for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.